any work done in particular to the house, names of people who did them, contact local counties and ordinances for documentation. You'll be able to have people who are willing to testify to say, hey, this is correct. I looked up this person's name and they didn't file a permit. All of those things can help build your case even more. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Amanda Cassidy. Hello, Amanda. Hi, how are you, Joe? I am doing great and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Amanda. She's an entrepreneur, house hacker, turnkey investor, and business designer and strategist. Recently started investing in real estate long distance and is focused on growing that portfolio. Based in Brooklyn, New York. And we're going to be talking about some challenging stuff that she has come across on a property. First though, Amanda, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Of course. So I spent my 20s living in West Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer, earning about $8 a day, doing a lot of microfinance and health education work. Then I went to grad school and got my MBA, incurred a lot of loans, and eventually got my first job in New York City at 28 years old in the CBG and healthcare world. And with $70,000 in debt, I had no savings. And by the time I moved to New York, I was obviously super overwhelmed by the cost of living in New York City. Mm-hmm. So... I first started my real estate journey by house hacking. I rented a two-bedroom apartment and Airbnb, the second bedroom. It's been great. I've been doing it for years and I earn about $20,000 a year. I've met some really incredible people all over the world. Then I got into turnkey investing, which was a great opportunity for me to leverage these resources that I first started to gain in my job and put them into something that was earning me more passive income. However, I think it was a, a little bit too passive for me. So... Over the last year and a half, I've decided to get my hands a bit dirtier and and get into real estate investing independently. But the problem was I'm from the D.C. area. I live in New York City. Both markets were too expensive for me. So I knew I had to become a master in a market that I could afford that also had potential to grow. So through a several months analytical and intuitive process, I landed on Cincinnati. That's when I first connected with you, Joe, for a mutual friend, Carla. Yep. And you connected me to Spoken Reed, who became my agent, and my friend and now business partner, Jeff, and I just bought our first duplex about a year ago, last September. And for turnkey investing, did you buy any properties before you got more hands-on with what you're currently working on? No, I just bought one turnkey property, and as the name suggests, it was very easy. They hold your hand 
from beginning to end. So for me, it was helpful having finally had some savings for myself that I had never really had before. It helped me practice the idea of taking a larger amount of my savings and putting it into something else. It was a scary move for me. Even though it was a $17,000 down payment, that was a very big deal for me at the time. Mm -hmm. So to practice that, I think, helped shift my perspective around, hey, I can do this over and over again. I can choose the market I want to do this, and I can choose the property. I can choose the approach I want to take to generate revenue. And so that's when I ultimately decided to, to do this on my own. The turnkey rental, what group did you go with? I went with a company in Memphis called Mid-South Home Buyers. Mid-South Home Buyers? Correct. Okay. And what did you buy it for and what does it rent for? It was a $64,000 property. So the down payment was around seventeen k, And I'm getting about $750 a month in rent. I'm earning around $330, $350 a month. Okay, so you get three to three hundred and fifty bucks a month in your bank account every month, barring something irregular with the property. Correct. Cool. And how long have you owned that? Almost three years. Any challenging things that have come up with that property? The first year was pretty smooth. After my first tenant moved out, we had a new tenant that came in and they had a lot of trouble paying rent. Eventually, the property manager has gotten them up to speed, and I've been reimbursed for lost rent over the last month or two, but so far, it's been smooth since. So they reimburse you if you don't have a tenant living there? I had only six weeks between tenants, but once they filled it with a new tenant, that's when they were kind of delinquent in paying rent. Okay, but the property management company didn't reimburse you for the time lost? Correct. Okay, got it, got it, okay. Yeah. Cool. So if you are making three to three fifty a month in profit every month, then why change that approach and go into something where you're more hands-on? I have, I think in my core, a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. So when I enjoy doing something, I typically want to end up doing it myself. I make candles, I now make ceramics. When I see things I enjoy, I take this sense of ownership of I want to own the process and experiment and learn more about myself along the way. And turnkey, well, you're right. It was very, very passive. All I had to do was wait in line every six months and buy a house. But I wasn't learning about the Memphis market. I wasn't building relationships with anyone other than my property manager and, and turnkey company. I wasn't kind of scaling my reach through knowledge and resources and partnerships. So I wanted to take the leap and really take more ownership of my financial future and hopefully scale much more quickly. So let's talk about your most recent acquisition. Tell us about it, please. It is a duplex in Cincinnati. The asking price was $115,000. It was positioned as two one-bedroom properties, but both of them had large square footage and an extra room. So they could quite easily and cheaply be converted into two two bedrooms. We put in an offer for $100,000 and it was accepted. So we went ahead with the due diligence process and inspection was great. Actually, the inspector said it was the best 100-year-old house he's ever seen. Wow. But the one caveat, yeah, it was great. It was so great to hear. It was almost... (laughs) <laughs> to be true, which it kind of was, as we'll see. 
Um, but the caveat to his inspection was, this is a 100-year-old house. It has 100-year-old clay pipes underground, and I cannot guarantee the quality of those pipes. So this was our first purchase in Cincinnati. We paid for a little bit more due diligence. We brought in a plumber to scope the pipes, and the plumber found some clogs and issues. Clay pipes are a little porous, and so over time, tree roots can grow inside and create clogs. So what we ended up doing is we added an addendum to the purchase agreement that said that the seller had to ensure that the drain was cleared and that there were no faults between the house and the sewage line. So the seller went ahead and paid what was around $6,000, used the same plumber that we used to scope the pipe. And then in September of last year, we closed. Okay. Congratulations on the close. Thank you. It was a big day and we were pretty scrappy about the first few things after that, we did a lot of the repairs ourselves. Since we were in Cincinnati to close, we went ahead and showed the space to tenants. It was a great experience for us, but certainly could have been done more efficiently with experts. We ultimately got the place filled within 10 days. Wow. Um, and total, yep, it was, it was exciting for us. And we total rent that we're netting through that is $1,550. One thousand five hundred and fifty is what they're going for between the two bedrooms. Two combined, yeah, just over fifteen hundred. Yep. Okay. So it's a good. It's over. It's between the one and two percent. So all that checked out, and it wasn't until the tenants moved in that the turbulence really started. The background to the house is it had been owner occupied for many many years, almost the entire life of the house. And that second unit had been unoccupied for quite some time. And so when those tenants moved in, everything was a bit rusty and there were kinks that needed to be worked out. Like started what? off, first thing that happened kind of right out of the gate is there was a gas leak. And I think it's just those pipes hadn't been used in such a long time for that unit. We weren't quite sure what the issue was, but that gas leak ultimately took about two weeks to resolve because the plumber who came in to kind of identify the leak and fix the leak and the Cincinnati gas company weren't talking to each other. So they each kept coming out at different times. The leak still hadn't been resolved. And two weeks later, our tenants are obviously cold, upset, and we're all a bit frustrated coming out of the situation. How was there a gas leak identified in the first place? Our tenants smelled gas and called us right away, which was great. Mm-hmm. And then are they living in the unit during these two weeks? So had we known that this would have taken two weeks, we would have put them up in a hotel right away. That's just not a good environment for tenants to be in a place without gas. But every day we were told that it would be resolved. And then every day something else happened uh-huh. and prevented that from being resolved. So we ended up giving our tenants a pretty large gift certificate to a restaurant in the area. We sent them heaters. We did everything we could to get them as comfortable as possible once we realized that this would take a bit longer than we expected. Okay. How much was the gift certificate? I think over $300. Where was it to? It's the Eagle. The Eagle. I don't know the Eagle. Okay. I think it's an over the Rhine. Oh, it's a cool hip area that I never go to. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. All the young kids are going there. Yes, yes. Okay, so that got resolved. That got resolved. 
The next few issues were appliances shutting down. We actually had some tenants that were a little difficult. It was their first time living in an apartment together. They were very, very young, were accustomed to living at home and just were fairly disrespectful of the property, disrespectful of the property management, of us. And it just took quite a bit of time and energy. So ultimately, after we feel like we've had our fair share of issues, really the kicker came this past February, where we get a video from our tenants in the bottom unit of sewage literally spewing from the ceiling and getting all over the walls, couch, and floor. Oh, my. Yeah, it was difficult. Where were you when you received that? I was at work in a meeting. (laughs) I had to step out of the meeting. My heart sunk. I was really hard on myself for the gas leak and for this. I want to provide a safe, comfortable living environment for people as a landlord. That is my responsibility. And I felt like this was wildly out of our control. We did everything we could during the due diligence phase to make sure there were no issues. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we have issue after issue. And then this was kind of one of the worst possible things that a tenant could live with. Yeah. So we brought in the same plumber who fixed the pipe a few months ago and he stopped the leak immediately. We brought in sewage mitigation, which is a pretty lengthy process. It takes quite a lot of time to sanitize everything and make sure the walls are dry. We had to bring some other folks in to fix the ceiling. And then we kick off what is a lengthy insurance claim process to cover the damages. And then a few weeks later, just as the walls are drying, just as our tenants are feeling more comfortable in the space, we get another leak in the exact same location. Um. <laughs> At this point, so, tell me you're not going back to the same plumber. I'm not. You're okay. exactly right. At this, at this point, I'm thinking this is clearly a systemic issue, and we need to look at the entire system. We need a fresh set of eyes to really evaluate what the problem is here. Right. So we bring in roto Rooters, and I'm mentioning their name because I've had a fantastic experience with them, and I, okay. I highly recommend them. We bring them in. They do a full scope of the pipe and they discover what appears to be a separation of the pipe underground between the house and the main line. And based on what we know about the pipe replacement and this pipe separation, it seems like it is that exact same length of pipe that had been replaced that has separated from the main line. Oh, bad plumber. So, (laughs) bad plumber, it seems like negligence. And at this time, I'm drinking out of a fire hose right? This is my very first issue with plumbing in my entire life. I am not an expert in any way, shape, or form. And here I am in the middle of two plumbers. One is Roto-Rooters, and they're telling me, here's my hunch based on a picture I have of inside the pipe. And on the other side, I'm, I'm hearing from the original plumber who is adamantly against the notion that his pipe replacement from a few months ago has anything to do with this problem. He thinks it's further down the line. So it was really difficult at first for me to navigate these two conversations, not being an expert in the field. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? One thing is I leaned on experts within my network. We use Hemlane to manage our property and Dana Dunford was calling us probably every week at this point and giving us a lot of very, very sound advice. She was fantastic throughout the entire time. 
But the other thing I really try to focus on is, well, I might not know anything about plumbing. I know about people. Mm-hmm. And I know that gut feeling of when I can trust someone and when I can't. And it was through those conversations with both roto and the original plumber that I realized I cannot trust that original plumber. He is not there to help me as a customer. He's there to save his own butt. Yep. So we went ahead with Roto-Rooters. We broke ground. Sure enough, the pipe had been separated. So when you count the repairs of fixing and replacing that pipe, when you count two rounds of sewage mitigation, and when you count vacancy, because at this point we say, hey, tenants, you guys have been through the ringer, mm-hmm. and we're not providing a safe, comfortable, and living environment. And quite frankly, at this point, we don't know when we will be able to. Based on our track record, we kept uncovering things, and I wasn't comfortable yet in assuring them that this would be it. So they're out, so we have vacancy fees. So when you add all of that together, we were out about $20,000, which was the cost of our down payment. Wow. That is, that equals your, you said that <laughs> equals your down payment, right? Yeah. So basically at this point, all of this happened by April. So nine months of owning this property, we had put $40,000 into it. Huh. Down payment plus this. And was the original plumber recommended to you by your property management company or someone else? Or how did you get in touch with them originally? It was by my agent. And if you look at this person up on Yelp, they have four and a half stars. They're very well reviewed. Look, people make mistakes. I'm not questioning whether or not he is an expert, but licensed professionals are insured and sometimes bonded for a reason. Uh And it's for reasons like this, right? When there is an issue of negligence or just a simple, honest mistake, you can tap into those resources and pay for the damages done. Mm-hmm. But in the case of us, he was completely unwilling to tap into those resources. Got it. Well, it's interesting. I was just talking to a local real estate investor and he was talking about a contractor who skipped out on a job and basically took this investor's $900. And then one that investor's friends reached out to the investor and was like, hey, would you recommend this contractor? I got a $5,000 job. And he's like, no, I don't. He skipped out on $900. And what the contractor doesn't see in the long run is you do what you're supposed to do or what you committed to do. And that $900 job will turn into a $5,000 job with that investor or some other investors. But instead... Right he's missing out on some larger stuff because he didn't fulfill his obligation to some smaller stuff. But that's just Absolutely. how people sometimes, I mean, it's not Absolutely. all, that's just how the cookie crumbles. Well, Absolutely. And, where, where and I, there is a happy ending to this, even yeah. though we talked to a number of people and they said, look, this is going to be a really tough case, but we ended up getting every single penny of our $20,000 back. What? How? Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you all of the details for legal reasons, but I can share some of the key steps that I took that I think you and your best ever listeners can also take. In the case of this contractor, there are tools that we can use to try to get as much as we can 
out of negative situations like this. Because at the end of the day, when we had dropped $20,000, it just didn't feel like this was over. Like we might as well try. Let's spend a little bit more to make the effort and try to get some of that money back. Yeah. So there are a few strategies and I'll list them in order of magnitude because at the end of the day, you don't want to go to litigation. It's extremely costly from a finance and from a time perspective. So take those steps little by little and build to there if you absolutely have to get there and decide if it's even worth your while. The first is have a conversation with your service provider directly. Oftentimes they really care about the quality of their work and they care about whether or not their customers are happy. And so maybe a simple conversation, they'd be willing to tap into their insurance and help cover the work. Or maybe if you trust them to go in there and fix what did improperly, right? That wasn't the case for us. So the next step I took was I shouted my experience from the rooftops. Service providers really care about their ratings and reviews on Yelp and other platforms. And I felt like given this experience, I had a duty to share my experience with the world. Yep. I also reported him to the Better Business Bureau. They reached out to him several times and he never responded. So that complaint through the BBB became public. And again, some people may be willing to bargain with you after that. Those reviews mean everything to me. Hey, if you take those down, let's, let's go ahead and work something out. But that still wasn't the case for me. So that's when I did decide to get a lawyer. And I'm happy to recommend my lawyer to anyone in the Cincinnati area. She was fantastic. I interviewed a few and I found someone who I, I felt like really heard me, mm-hmm. who was confident, but also really kind of curious and passionate about this issue. And the other thing I want to say here is how important it is to document everything. And I don't mean document everything once an issue occurs. I mean, document everything over the life of the property that you own, because the minute something comes up, you'll have the evidence you need to support yourself. What are some things along the way that you can document? Inspections, obviously all inspection records, you want to hold on to that. When we had that plumber scope the pipe, he actually sent us a video of the original pipe. So we filed that away. When the seller did the work, we got a copy of the invoice of the work that she did and we filed that. Obviously pictures of the sewage leak and all the damages done is important, but I would say, frankly, comparing the original scope video of the clay pipes with the separation of the pipes, it was really clear. You can't see PCV pipe in the first scope and you can see a separation between clay pipe and PCV pipe in the second scope. Mm-hmm. So I think that really helps support our evidence. The other thing I did in terms of documentation is reach out to local ordinances to find facts. So I learned through reaching out to local Cincinnati districts that the original plumber did not pull a permit to do the work. Mm-hmm. And had he pulled a permit and had he gotten an inspection, he would have been told that he had to encase that pipe with cement due to the depth of that pipe fell underground and he didn't. And that could have been one of the reasons why the pipe wasn't supported and dropped. So it was important for me to get kind of a holistic picture. And and I think if best of our listeners can just any receipt, any work done in particular to the house, names of people who did them, contact local counties and ordinances for documentation, You'll be able to have people who are willing to testify to say, hey, this is correct. I looked up this person's name and they didn't file a permit. 
all of those things can help build your case even more. Very helpful. I did not remember, because I think you told me, but I did not remember that you got the $20,000 back because we have a mutual friend and we were hanging out at our mutual friend's wedding this past summer when you were telling me about this. I was like, we've got to do an interview about this. Uh, and <laughs> wow, all right, I'm so glad that we did. So based on your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say you really want to make sure your incentives are aligned in any deal or partnership that you make. And for me, it was with the seller. When we had that addendum to the purchase agreement that said the seller had to fix the pipes, they're not incentivized to do their best possible job. They want to spend as little money as possible on the house that they're selling. So I think what I would have done had I done it over again is just negotiate the price of the house lower and then use those savings to fix it myself. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? So ready. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read? I would say personally, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. For me, it was a really transformative book. It helped me understand that you don't need clarity in your path in life. You just need to stay true to yourself and have faith in yourself to take that next step forward. Mm, it's powerful. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? I advise entrepreneurs in the U.S. and social entrepreneurs in Africa. And then I'm actually happily doing my very first Habitat for Humanity build later this year. And how can the best of your listeners learn more about what you're doing? Folks can reach me on my website, which is www.amandacassaday.com. Well, Amanda, thank you for being on the show and... My bad earlier on your last name. I just realized that I think I pronounced your last name Cassidy instead of Cassidy. So thank you for bearing with me on that. And no I really enjoyed our conversation and such helpful advice. I love talking about case studies and some case studies go according to plan. Some case studies don't. This one did not. However, there's a lot of things that you shared with us that I'm sure you'll be applying in your future career as a real estate investor, but boy, you helped out a lot of people with this advice, especially when we come across a situation that a contractor or a vendor, a subcontractor does not live up to the billing. Here's the process that we can go through, talk to them directly, shout from the rooftops, report to Better Business Bureau, get a lawyer, and it's important to document everything along the way, and then check local ordinances too. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have the best every day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Joe. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.